Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently. So that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this. 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country. And they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like. Some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Standing down on Main Street across from Mr. Blues My faded leather jacket, my weather broke and shoes A chill north wind was blowing, but the spring was coming on As I wanted to myself, just how long I had been gone So I strolled across old Main Street, walked down a flight of stairs Stepped into the hall and saw all my friends were there A neon sign was flashing, welcome, come on in It feels so good, feeling good again My favorite band was playing Man, it has been a crazy last couple of weeks Probably wondering if I'm fading out of the podcast business And gonna quit because I haven't posted one of these in a while. And the answer is no. I've just been busy with other stuff. I went home to the States for two weeks, and I'd mentioned that I was going to get a puppy. And it's an extremely long story. Bottom line is, I had a puppy for a week. I returned the puppy to the breeder, and I didn't keep it. And I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people that are listening and don't know me and don't know a lot about dogs, but I have real specific qualities for what I was looking for in a dog. And not only did this dog not have all those, but he was showing some signs of fear as a very, very young puppy, which can easily lead to aggression. And I want a dog I can take in public everywhere. I don't, I don't want to have to worry about it biting someone or making a mistake, getting scared and running away. Uh, there's lots of fireworks that go off around here. I don't want a dog that runs when it hears fireworks. And so I just saw a lot of little signs that just showed me that he's not didn't have solid enough nerves for what I wanted to do with him. And I gave myself a week with him. And before I got him, I, I told myself, you know, don't get to attach this dog because he may not be the right one. He was the last one left in the litter. I didn't get to select him. And when I picked him up, you know, I set him on the ground. And the way he was acting, I thought to myself, if I was selecting this dog from a litter, I would not pick this one. I would put him aside. And so, you know, but that's who knows what, you know, that could, he could just be having a bad day. So I gave him a week. It didn't work. The breeder was nice enough to take him back because he knows it's, you know, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. A lot of people don't understand that, but it's better for the dog and better for the owner if they part ways at a young age. Let the dog find his right home and let the owner find his right dog. So no dog for now. It's still on standby. I'm working it out, but I'm kind of going back to the drawing board. So that's the dog update. His name was Taco, and he knew it very well. It was sad to see him go, but I know it was for the best. 
And most of the time, the hardest thing to do is normally the right thing to do. As of about three days ago, I've been living in San Juan del Sur full-time for exactly one year. I think I'd mentioned before, but for the prior five years, I would just come down, check on the business, hang out for a few weeks at a time, and do that three to seven times a year. So I've lived here a full year now. Uh, I'm still liking it. It's still nice. It's still pretty low stress in the grand scheme of things. But my landlord decided he does not want to renew the lease. And I don't blame the guy. Um, He wants to be able to come down and use his house at his own will and not have to worry about somebody here. So that's fine, whatever. But I had a house slated to move into, which was the house right up the hill from where I live. And the lady told me the house was on the market. And I was fine with that because it had been on the market for two years and it hadn't sold. Well, recently she sends me an email and says, hey, the house is sold. You can't live there. You're going to have to find somewhere else to live. Great, I thought. And in the back of my mind, I suspect she's been talking to this potential buyer for more than one day, but she kind of kept me on the back burner to, um, to ensure that if this buyer fell through, that she'd have someone to rent her house. So I was a little frustrated about that. I did talk to the new owner, or what will be the new owner, and she was willing to lease it to me at least until September. So that's an option. But the lady who owns it is an absolute nut job. She is crazy. She sends these long, long, rambly emails. I don't want to deal with her. But we're on the brink of Semana Santa, which is the craziest, partiest, nothing happening business-wise week of the entire year for Nicaragua. All the real estate prices go through the roof. Everything doubles in price. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. So nothing gets done from now to the following Monday. So today's Friday for an entire week. And weekend from now, nothing will happen business-wise. Nobody works. No one does anything. They, the entire country basically drives to San Juan del Sur, parties here, trashes the entire place, and leaves. It's a huge strain on everything except the economy. People like it because they make money. But all the gringos shut their businesses down. They all shut down and they leave. And I've already got a little taste of it, man. Town is already crazy. There's buses everywhere. The beach is packed. So... I booked a ticket to leave. I'm going to Tikal, which is the ancient ruins in Guatemala. And I'm going to hop over to Belize, Ambergas Cay, Belize for a couple of days and then come back. I'm going to meet up with some friends over there. I have a feeling that I would just go nuts. Uh, the power's already gone out a couple of times and that's what it you know puts a huge strain on the infrastructure. Power goes out, internet goes out, cell phones don't work. And I just decided I'm going to leave. It was a last minute, uh, well, I'd been thinking about it for a long time. And then the house situation came up, and I thought I had the house situation sorted out. I bought my ticket, and then I hear that the house is not sorted out. So there's potential that I'll get back from a vacation with two days left in March and nowhere to live. So I don't know what I'm going to do if that happens, but I can't do anything here. Might as well go somewhere else and not deal with the madness. But in regards to the new house that I was thinking about moving into, or that I was going to move into that was right up the hill from where I live, they have no cuidador, so they have no caretaker of the house that maintains the property and looks after things when you're away and just keeps an eye on stuff. So they didn't have one. So I got everything lined up to bring Ronnie with me to go there, and he was all about it. Well, his buddy Ismail, who lives right around here also, 
they kind of let him go from the job that he was overseeing, so he doesn't have a place to work now. So Ronnie's idea is for him to go up there with me and work at the house that I may or may not still be moving into and not tell the management company, because that house will be outside of a management company. So he doesn't want to tell the management company that he's doing that. He will still get his paycheck, but he'll just give his paycheck to Ismail, who would be managing the house that I'm currently living in if Ronnie goes there with me. And so I asked Ronnie, I said, why, why not just let Ismail go work for the property management company and put him on their payroll? And they were like, oh, I don't know. I don't think they'll hire him. Because these property management companies have their own guys that they've worked with for a long time. And so Ismail has never worked with this new property management company. And so Ronnie's afraid they wouldn't hire him, and then Ismail would be jobless. So I'm going to tell Ronnie, I don't care what you guys do. I'm going to pay you every month, and you work here at this house. And what you do with Ismail and this other company, that's all you guys. But it was a pretty funny scheme that they devised, and it doesn't surprise me one bit. Those guys will figure it out. You put them in a bind, they'll figure it out. And my house is currently out of water. So the well is dry where my house is. So they've been trucking water up to the house. Well, last month, I think they spent $600 sending water up here. That, that, my rent's only 1000 So that's, you know, there's no way the guy's making money. But anyway, the guy who hauls the water up here lives right around the corner. So I see him all the time. I talk to him all the time. He's got like four wells. He lives like in a little valley where everything's really low. And so he's got all the water. And so I was talking to him a little bit. And I was asking him how much he sells the water for. And he kind of looks at me with a smirk. And he's like, no, it's illegal to sell the water. I can't do that. I can only sell the transportation. And then he kind of looked with this smirk on his face like, ah, we found a way around the law. And I kind of thought to myself, yeah, that's what we call loopholes. They're not, not all that big of a deal. But anyway, so he was telling me that, you know, the water's free. I just pay for the, you pay me for the transportation. So I go, okay, next time I drive by your house, I'm going to stop and fill up uh, some of my water buckets with your, your free water that you give away. And he said, he kind of laughed a little bit. He goes, no, if you do that, then I'll charge you for using my well to get out the free water. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny. But they were super proud of the fact that they had devised a scheme to get around the system. Whereas I feel like if that conversation would have taken place in the U.S., it would have been something like, oh, yeah, they got this stupid law that says, you know, you can't sell the water, so you sell the transportation. Oh, okay. But they kind of looked at each other and were smiling, and it was like a big deal that they, had, that they were doing this and skirting the system, and I thought that was pretty amusing. And I have a residency update. You are now listening to an official resident of La República de Nicaragua. That's me. I have my residency card with my picture on it. It says it's good for five years. I'm a Nicaraguan resident. I cannot vote. I'm not eligible for any government subsidies or payouts, but I can open bank accounts, and I can show it to the police when I get pulled over, and they'll have a little bit of respect for me. But when I picked it up, Man, it was a long day. It started out, a friend of mine said, she was like, hey, I heard you're looking to go to Managua tomorrow. You want to share a cab? And I go, sure. So we agreed to meet at a certain point in town at 7 o'clock a.m. Well, I just returned from Texas where the time changed. Time doesn't change in Nicaragua. But, so I got here. My iPad is set for Texas time, which is one hour ahead of Nicaragua time. 
So I set my alarm for 6.30 a.m. I go to sleep. I wake up. It was basically just a nap. There wasn't much sleeping because I went to bed kind of late. So I get up. All right, I hit snooze a few times. And now it's like 6.48. And it takes me like seven or eight minutes to drive into town. So I jump up, get dressed, slam some dog food on the ground for the dogs, hit the door. Felipe's out there sleeping, selling logs. I'm like, Felipe, can you open the gate? I got to go. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So Felipe hops up, opens the gate, and drive out. And I look at my watch, and it's like six till six. I was like, wait a minute. Last time I looked at my iPad, it was 640-something. And then I, and it all hit me. Oh, man, I'm going an hour early. So I pulled back in. I put the truck in park, and Felipe was just looking at me, scratching his head. And I explained the thing to him, and he just started laughing and laughing and laughing. So I go back into my room. I get in bed, or get on the bed in all my clothes and my shoes. And I sleep for like another 30 minutes, and I go down there. So I'm there waiting. Uh, the driver showed up to her house to pick her up like 40 minutes late. So we're like 50 minutes late getting started. I wanted to get there early because the lines get long at the residency office. So they pick me up. She needs to stop and get a couple of things. She owns a little uh, nightclub slash bar in town. And so she needed to get a couple of things for it. So we stop at a little roadside stand in Messiah. And Messiah is a little city where they make all kinds of arts and crafts. And they make some furniture, just, just a bunch of like stuff. And so she needed these things for her bar, these decorations. So we stopped there. And she negotiates with the guy, negotiates with the guy. We go around and around, 30-minute stop. She finally negotiates everything. And then there's these huge balls that are like maybe two or three foot in diameter. And they're like woven like sticks. And then you put lights or something in the middle of them. I don't know. But she's negotiated to buy 10 of them. And I, and I go, where are you going to put these 10? She's like, we can put them in the front seat and in the, tr- in the trunk. And I was like, there's no way. So she went ahead and paid the guy, and then she sent a truck to go back and get him. So we're back in the car, heading towards Managua. And I have him drop me off at the uh, immigration place. And so pull up, hop out. So I find Patricia, who's the person that's been helping me through the residency process. She used to work for the immigration, so she knows all the rules. So I find her, and she's like, okay, give me your passport. I give her my passport. She's like, okay, you go wait outside. Do whatever you want to do. It's hot in here. There's lots of people. There's like windows and lines everywhere. It's a room about the size of like an elementary school cafeteria. But along two walls, it's just window after window after window that people just wait in lines. They're all numbered. And you have no idea where to go or who to talk to or what to do. So she said, you just go wait outside and I'll sit here and manage all this. And that was music to my ears. So I walk outside. I post up in the shade. And I get out my iPad, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't have any headphones. So I thought to myself, I look outside, I see all these street vendors. I said, somebody's got some headphones they'll sell. Whether or not they sell headphones for a living, I don't care, but somebody has some headphones they'll sell. So I go to walk-in and uh, find a table. Hey, you guys got any headphones? They're like, no, but go down there a couple more blocks, that guy does. I go down there, find the guy. $3, buy some headphones. Buy a street food snack, post up under a tree, take a nap for about 30 minutes while I'm listening to an audiobook. She calls me. She's like, hey, come inside. So I go in there. She's like, sign this. Go back outside. Sign it. Went back outside. I'm hanging out. So all in all, it was about four hours that I was there. 
And I wasn't in the smelly line hot area. I was outside in the nice shade. So that was nice. I walk in the last time. She's like, go sit down here. I sit down. They took my picture. 30 minutes later, they handed me the card. I was out of there. But it was a good feeling to see all that come to an end. It was like eight months. It was like one month of gathering documents and then seven months of waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think I mentioned before, the whole immigration department was shut down. And I kept asking her, why, why, why? And she never really answered. Well, she's like, the reason I never answered because it was just too long for me to explain her email. Her English isn't that good and my Spanish isn't all that good. So she explained it to me. And what happened was the immigration department was all kinds of corrupt. There was a bunch of Cuban refugees that were going from Cuba trying to get to the U.S. I guess the U.S. granted them asylum if they could get on U.S. soil. So there was someone in the immigration office that was taking money from these Cubans to let them through. And naturally, it has to trickle down from the top all the way down to the bottom. I don't know who was paying the guy. I don't know where the money was coming from. But I know that these people didn't have enough money to pay top officials. But either way, someone was paying these guys. So the money had to trickle down to let the guys that are working at the border let them through and let the people that are checking the documents let them through. And so they caught wind of this. So they shut the entire department down, fired everyone, and threw a timeout. And they got everyone rehired, new people, retrained, restructured, and they're going again. And so that was the holdup, which, okay, that's acceptable. But that's the kind of stuff you got to deal with when you allow corruption to even start in the first place. Or, or when your wages are so low that you have to be corrupt. And the reason that the wages are so low for government employees is because the top-level government pockets all the money. So it's this vicious cycle that they shoot themselves in the foot, skimming money off the top. It's kind of known to be acceptable until something like that hits the fan and then everything's shut down. So that's the reason why it took eight months, but I have it now. It's in my wallet, and I shall not lose it. In fact, when I get pulled over, I'm considering not even giving it to the cop because what they do here when you get pulled over, if they won't accept a bribe, they take your license. Then you have to go to the bank and pay the ticket fee. Then you have to present the receipt to the police showing that you paid it into the correct account. If you can't get back to the police fast enough, then they will send your license to the main police station. And then you got to go wait in line and present them with the documents that you paid the bill. And then you know what they do? They don't give you your license. They mail it to you. They mail it to you. And it's funny because everyone here is like, there's no mail. There's no mailman. There's no addresses. What are you talking about? So in my case, if I get pulled over, I have a U.S. passport card, which looks a lot like a driver's license. It's only valid for land travel between the U.S. and Mexico and the U.S. and Canada. In my opinion, I don't need that card. So what I will do if I get pulled over is present them with that card. And if they keep it, they keep it. I don't care. And then the next time I get pulled over, maybe I'll show them my Nicaraguan license. Word is that if you have a Nicaraguan license, they don't jack with you as much. But I'd rather lose the passport card first and then find that out. Okay, so going back to the day in Managua. Oh, I left out one thing. We all have a couple of drivers here that we use, just like, a group of friends between like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 friends. We keep two guys busy at all times because someone's always needing to go somewhere and driving in Managua is horrid. And driving isn't bad, but navigating is the part I can't do. 
With no street signs, street names, or addresses, it's impossible. So we keep one guy busy all the time, sometimes two. So the two drivers that we always use are Francisco and Byron. And so Francisco picks us up, you know, 40 minutes late. We're leaving town, and we get just at the edge of town, and he pulls over, and we're like, what are you doing, man? He's like, oh, he's like, this guy's going to be your driver the rest of the way. And he gets out of the car, and this stranger gets and sits in the car, and they're like all smiling, looking at each other. And by this time, Francisco's now outside of the car on the passenger side with the window rolled down. And he's kind of talking to the driver through the window, who's now in the driver's seat. And I'm listening in. And he can kind of tell by our facial expressions that we're caught off guard and we're not exactly cool with this. And so he's looking at the driver, and I'm like, Byron. I'm, and so he's looking at the driver, and I'm like, Francisco, does this guy know where we need to go? Because Francisco had gone a week before with Ginny, my friend who I was sharing the cab with. And so they'd made a bunch of stops. And so he already knew like the most efficient way to organize the stops, where to go, how to get around the traffic. He knew all that. So that wasn't going to be an issue for us to explain to him where to go. So I said, Francisco, is this guy going to know all the stops, know where to stop? And he's like, oh, yeah, he knows Monago really well. And so I was like, Ginny, where do you need to stop? And she named like a music store where they sell musical equipment. And I said, do you know where this is? And he kind of looked at Francisco and kind of looked at me with this half grin on his face. And I could tell, nope, he had no idea. He did not know where that place was. He was just saying that he did. And so he picked up on my vibes. And he's like, Francisco, these guys don't want me to drive. You should drive. And he's like, okay, that's fine. So Francisco gets back in the car and we go to driving again. And I was like, Francisco, what was that about? He's like, oh, well, I need to go to the doctor. I was like, you look fine. You're not sick. He's like, no, I need a, a medical form, a physical, to renew some kind of taxi driver's license or something. And I was like, oh, well, you maybe shouldn't have booked a trip to Managua on the day that you had to go to the doctor. He's like, no, it's fine. Sorry, no problem, no problem. So that was on the way there. I finished everything at the immigration. He had dropped off Jenny at one store, was coming back to pick me up, and then we were going to go back and pick up Jenny. Well, he was taking forever to get there to pick me up. So I walked across the street. There was a, a grocery store there. I said, all right, I know I need some toiletries. So I run in there. I buy, like, shampoo, conditioner, a razor, throw everything back in my backpack, and there's a pile of mattresses sitting outside the grocery store. And it was in the shade, and I said, oh, man, I'm going to get all those mattresses. So I wiped. It had, like, a plastic cover on them. I wiped all the dust off. I lay down. I get comfortable. Here comes the manager. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's going to tell me I can't be on the mattresses, even though they're covered and they're chained down. He's like, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry, but it's prohibited to be on the mattresses. And I go, but they're for sleeping. He said, I know, but the clients who buy them probably would not want someone on them. And I go, man, is there any way I can stay on the mattresses? I got up really early. He's like, no, I'm sorry. So I was like, okay, fine. So I get off the mattresses. And I'm like, I need to go use the restroom in the grocery store. So I walk in there, and I'm thinking, if these are dirty, like I'm not going to go here. I'm going to hold on. And so I walk in. It's like surprisingly clean. I said, okay, this is fine. This will work. Get situated. I get looking around. No toilet paper. I look in the next stall. No toilet paper. I look in the paper towel. No paper towels. I said, well, good thing it's a grocery store. So I walk out the toilet paper aisle, I buy a couple rolls of toilet paper, and I go, go back in the bathroom. And I finish. And when I was walking out, I forgot to grab my toilet paper. 
So I was like, oh, how can I get my toilet paper? So I walk back in, and I grab it, and I'm putting it in my backpack right when someone's <laughs> opening the door to come in the bathroom. And they see this stupid gringo shoving toilet paper in his backpack. <laughs> and I didn't even care. I just walked out. I was like, hola, and then walked out. <laughs> but I just wonder what that guy told his wife when he went home. So finally, Francisco shows up, and he picks me up. And we go back to the music store where Jenny was, like, haggling over lights. And I had no idea how much these stage lights are. For one light that mounts to a bracket, the bracket's on the ceiling, the, the light hangs down, the light's pre-programmed to shine all over the place, to move around, to throw out lasers and colors and go with the music and all that. And I was thinking, yeah, probably 150 bucks, $200 maybe. And I was like, how much is that light you're looking at? She's like, 800 I was like, dollars or Cordobas? And she said, dollars. And I said, wow, why so much? She's like, I don't know, it's just how much they are. So she haggled with him, got the light, and as she was gathering everything to pay, I was like, hey, this is going to take them a long time because she had a credit there from she, where she'd returned something a time before. So I said, look, this is going to take forever. I said, why don't we just give them everything, tell them to get all the paperwork organized, let's go eat lunch and come back. It was like 1 o'clock. We were both starving and grumpy and hot. So I said, look, let them get everything organized. We'll, we'll come back. And she was like, okay. So we go to that, eat some lunch, overpriced sushi, which wasn't spectacular, but everyone has to eat sushi in Managua, and I get roped into it. We come back, and from the time we walk in the door to the time we walk out of the door, it's 25 minutes. And we're not shopping. We're just trying to pay. Just pay. All we want to do is hand you the money, you give me the product, and we leave. Oh, no, no, no. So you have one counter where the salesmen hang out. Most of them are playing on their cell phones, but every now and then one of them will try to sell you something. So you pick out what you want. The item goes to the sales counter. The salesman picks up a form, fills it out, goes with the item and the form to another guy at a desk who's like a sales manager. He puts a couple stamps on it, checks a couple things, signs a couple things. The product stays with the sales manager, and the sales manager takes that paperwork to a cashier. The cashier goes through everything, checks everything, stamp some things, print some things, throw some things away, signs it, and then you think you're done, right? You think you've paid, you've got the receipt. They won't let you carry out the product out of the shop. So then they have to wait for another guy to come to carry the product. So they get this other little guy. The little guy carries this, the light, and you're walking to the front door. And then there's a guy standing at the front door who takes the item out of the box and checks all the paperwork to make sure that it's all there and nothing is being stolen and it took 25 minutes for that process and i wish i wish so badly i could just think to myself well it's just you know it's just the way things are here it's just just the way they work but it's just ingrained in my dna to figure out how inefficient they are and figure out ways that they could be better and we're not talking new technology people that are working slow we're talking old technology we're talking printers that print in carbon that have the two strips on, or one strip on each side of the paper that's got the holes in it, that's perforated, that tears off so the wheels can run it. That's the kind of equipment we're working with. And half the time stuff doesn't work and they're kicking it and they're trying to figure out what's wrong with it. But one of these days, I'm gonna hold some efficiency training for all businesses, just so that my life improves a little bit and I have to spend less time in Managua. 
So by this time, it's about 3 o'clock. And all I want, if you can hear those birds, I'm sorry. They're driving me nuts. So this time, it's like 3 o'clock. And all I want to do is get back to San Juan as fast as possible. So we leave town. And we're driving. And we get about 15 minutes outside of town. And Francisco pulls over. And I go, what are you doing? You got to pee? He said, no, about this time this van pulls up behind us. I'm like, okay, here we go. Time to fight. We're going to get robbed. And so this other guy walks up. He's like, this is Everest. He's going to be your driver the rest of the way. And I'm thinking, no way. This just happened this morning, like 12 hours ago. And so Everest gets in the car. I'm like, whatever, just get us back to San Juan. And one of the things I like about Francisco is that if Nicaragua had any form of race car driving, he would, he would be the number one. He drives aggressively. He's fast. He's a little bit crazy. I get scared sometimes, but I wear my seatbelt, and I can always reach and grab the steering wheel if I needed to. But I like that about him because he gets you home quick. Well, this guy was the opposite of that. He's just tootling along. I would fall asleep and wake up, and we have never exceeded like 20 miles per hour. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We drove an hour going maybe 20 to 25 with reggaeton music playing in my ears. I asked him three or four times, can you, can you turn down the music a little bit? Can you maybe fade it to the front? Can you do something? Can, can you just stop stop with the torture of the reggaeton? L- literally, there's... I heard one song that was one note. One note on top of some electronic sounds. And I thought to myself, there's no way they can like this. I don't see how. But they do. They do. So it took us three and a half hours to get home. Maybe four. I walked in the front door at like 7.45. You know, I got dropped off in town. I had to get in my truck. I rounded up some dinner and I came back home. So it was like a 13-hour day in Baghdad. I'm glad it's over with. I have my residency. It's one victory for me and like 95 for the Nicaraguan government. Also, if you're into podcasts, check out my buddy's podcast. His name is Kale. Some of you might know him. He's not on iTunes or anything like that yet because it takes a little bit of work to, to get onto iTunes, but he's on podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And the name of his podcast is The Bird Killer. I'm not going to tell you why. You'll have to just listen. But he just rambles kind of his thoughts driving to or from work every day, and then he posts it, and it's pretty funny. I don't know if it's funny because I know him and I know his personality, and I think he's a funny guy, or if everyone else would find it's funny too. But I'd encourage you to listen, and I hope you laugh. The Bird Killer on Podbean. All right, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. Once again, I apologize for the delay. I'm sure all of you out there were like pulling your hair out. It's like somebody stopping The Walking Dead mid-season with no explanation. So I'm sorry. Don't hate me. I don't know when the next time I'll be back is. Hopefully right after I get back from Belize. But it won't be next week because I'll be in Belize. So hang in there. I'll have tons of stories when I come back about my trip to Belize and what the status of my house situation is. So you don't hear from me, it's because I'm in a whirlwind of you-know-what, trying to find a place to live. Thanks again for listening, Life in Paradise podcast. If you'd like to, send me an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com, or check out our website, 
NikaSailInSurf.com. I was going to talk about Donald Trump, but I'm out of steam. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Bangkok.